You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Gene Garino, and I'm here on the Earn and Invest podcast. I remember it like yesterday. A few months into receiving my first paycheck as a resident, I began to look at options for my Roth IRA. I knew nothing about investing, but you know what I did know? My grandma was getting great care at the Sunrise Assisted Living. So I did what the experts suggest and invested in what I knew and bought a bunch of shares of Sunrise, which, by the way, was a lousy investment. When I sold it, it hadn't even doubled over 20 years. Stock market is one thing, but what if we had gone to find my grandmother residential assisted living and not been happy with our options? Would I have ever considered filling this need in the market myself? And if so, how would I have done that? We're not just talking about assisted livings. When do you decide to start a business to fill a gap that you are personally experiencing? And how do you succeed? Gene Garino is a certified financial planner in the U.S. and Australia. Since 1976, he has owned and operated 16 businesses and been an angel investor in numerous others. Today, Gene is focused on helping people grow their skills and their financial freedom through real estate investments like residential assisted living and shared housing. Gene, welcome to Earn and Invest. They say that necessity is the mother of invention. Talk about your mom becoming ill in the late 2000s. Well, great introduction to the, it really is the mother of all invention. My mom, when she started with her health, fail a little bit and actually quite a bit. She got, uh, as we all get older, things fail. The, the bottom line is there was an incident. And every time when you're an elderly individual, when there's an incident, that really just, it's a marker. So for me, I remember it was a phone call. It was my sister, Ann, and she's crying for help, help. Got to get out here. I said, what's up? And the bottom line is she said, mom fell out of bed last night. And when she was trying to get back into bed, she leaned against the footboard and cracked her ribs. She's in the hospital. You got to get out here. My heart stopped. I didn't know what to think or what to say. But the reality is I knew that I would take care of her no matter what it took. And when I finally got out there and saw her and realized this is the beginning of a decline, we needed to start to look for how are we going to take care of mom? And what we found was scary, horrible. And the bottom line is we said, we, I vowed myself personally, I vowed to create a solution for this. And that was really the beginning of my journey in residential assisted living. Tell me about what you thought was missing. I remember with my grandmother, I was so happy with the sunrise at that time, just because I felt like she was getting the care she needed. What weren't you seeing? Yeah. When we went to go look at what was available, and this is in upstate New York, there was only 
big box facilities. Now, what you just described sounds like a nice situation, but a lot of the larger institutional facilities were converted hospitals or institutions, truly institutions that were converted into. And it just felt very sterile, very clinical. You walk through the front door and you can smell the neglect. And, you know, you're there and there's 100, 200, 300 residents, but there's seemingly a handful of caregivers. And the ratio of care of 15 to 1, 20 to 1 was quite common. Bottom line, mom lived in a home for 85 years. I didn't want to move her into a hotel where she's getting neglected. We would come over and visit all the time. So I was looking for something that was different than a larger institutional, something more like a home. And that's when I vowed to create that residential assisted living, that home setting, not home-like, but an actual home. I like how you said that you can smell the neglect. I've spent many years working in nursing homes and residential assisted livings, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Let's go a little bit deeper. I want to talk about this idea of noticing a problem and then pivoting to decide that you're going to create a solution. Like that's not something everyone does. A lot of people, when they see a problem and they can't seem to find a solution, they hire someone to help them, or they look even farther or even pivot their ideas How did you decide, okay, I've got this issue, I'm going to fix it? Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting because I think I was bought, brought up that way right from the very beginning. I think my mother, in one one respect, had to come up with a solution. We were seven kids and five boys. It's like, how am I going to get these kids out of the house? So she'd send us out of the house to go do something. I remember one of her ideas was picking up twigs, like sticks, and then bundling them together. And it's uh, then selling it door to door, calling it kindling for kids, you know, so they can start their fire with this. And really, I think she was just being creative, solving her problem. Let's get these kids out of the house, go do something. But I remember the very first business that we had, I was a professional musician as a teenager. And part of that was that I played the drums, but I was young. I was 16 years old. And and what am I going to do? I can't play in the bars. We can't do this. We can't do that. I'm too young to do certain things. So I said, there's there's probably somebody else who wants to learn how to play. And this is when MTV first came out. So I started giving drum lessons, which is a way to make money with the skill of playing the drums. We opened up a coffee house because we didn't have a place to play. So this gave us a place to play. So with real estate, it was really a progression from that business into the real estate. We rented a place. Then we ended up buying a place. Then we said, well, that was fun. Let's buy more. But with the assisted living, my goodness, with the silver tsunami of seniors that's coming our way, the bottom line is this is the problem of the next generation. And I'm a baby boomer, but the people on the front end of the baby boomer, they're now that 74, 75-year-old who's getting to the point where they may need this assistance. And there's no room in the end. They're building them fast. But There's so many people aging into this that there's a crisis that's brewing. So part of that solution for me personally was my mom. But the big picture is there are millions of beds that are needed and there's not enough inventory. Yeah, I want to talk about that crisis in a moment. But before I do, you, I believe, opened your first residential assisted living in 2013 Where were you in your own financial trajectory at that time? Had you owned businesses by then? Were you into real estate or was this your first business? Yeah, I actually started real estate way back in 18. So that was our first purchase of a home that we used for home as well as a business. So it was a hybrid. We had a music school with over 300 students, a small recording studio, record label, and it was all inside that home. So been doing real estate for a long, long time. If you could see my picture, you'd see this uh, gray beard. I'm a lot older than you might think, but 
No, I'm not that old, 60. <laughs> but the reality is, you know, that that progression. So business, I've actually had over two dozen businesses now, but the business aspect I've literally always done. I've never had a quote unquote real job where I go someplace and I get a paycheck. I've always been an entrepreneur. So finding a solution for a problem is just second nature. The real estate started as a teenager and it's gone all the way through. But this combination of the real estate, as well as the business, as well as this silver tsunami, it's, it's really the place to be. It's the one thing that if you were to ask me what's going to change this year, my goodness, look at the news. Everything is changing. But the one thing that will never change, you and I are going to take care of mom and dad. That's what's not going to change. There's definitely a continuum of investing, right? So you can put your money in the stock market. If we're talking about real estate, you can put your money in a risk in a REIT, right? A real estate investment trust, and it's fairly passive. Then there's a group of people who will take it a step further, and maybe they'll buy a single family home and rent it out. Mm-hmm. You clearly are a serial entrepreneur. We're talking about owning and running a residential assisted living. Do you have to be kind of further down that spectrum to to bite off a piece this big or even someone who maybe previously had been exposed more to things like REITs and more passive investing? Can they take on such a project? You know, great question. And I'm going to go right back to your introduction because you said, what if I could? And you can. The idea of you and I are probably not going to build a 300 unit uh, CCRC that's going to compete with Brookdale. But you and I can both buy a single family home and move 10 seniors into it. That investment itself could be $500,000, might be $2 million, but it's a single family home converting it into using it for this purpose. And you had asked me earlier, where was I at before I got into this financially? I was just like most people, the idea of as an entrepreneur, that's one thing, but I'm constantly reinvesting, but I'm not a buy and hold of a stock or a mutual fund kind of guy. I was the certified financial planner who understood what's going on behind the scenes, realizing you're not, you're never going to get ahead in the stock market. You only get what they give you. They're always trying to compete against you. So I could go on a rant that way, but I'm not going to do that. But the idea of real estate investing, you can either be a small owner, you can be just a a private money lender. The continuum would be the idea of either just investing your money, getting a rate of return or step that up joint venture with the individual who's operating it. So you're getting a better rate of return or step that up. You might own the real estate and lease it to the operator, getting twice the market rent with a long-term low impact tenant or step it up. You might own the real estate and the business, but I've never been hands-on. I'm not a caregiver. I'm not a manager. I've never been there day to day. It's I go there when I need to, but as a business owner, you can be involved at whatever level you want. So you can be an investor, you can be an owner of the real estate, owner of the real estate in the business. You can go as far with this as you'd like. It reminds me of something I was reading in a friend's book recently, this idea of strategic under-diversification. When you were talking about being a buy and hold stock person, pretty much you diversify and you get what the market is willing to give you. But if you really want to make outsized returns, you almost have to be strategically under-diversified. You have to go for a business. I love that. I've never heard that before, but I like it. I think I'm going to use that. (laughs) Yeah, I I hadn't either until I read it in his book. You've talked a number of times and used this term, the silver tsunami. Talk to me more about the demographics of the aging population and how it plays into your business. 
Yeah, if you look at a chart of the actual population, uh, the birth rate per year, we're actually now just now coming into this wave of this silver tsunami. About 10 years from now, you see a spike in the chart with the birth rates. That was 1945, 1946. That was the beginning of the baby boom generation. World War II ended, servicemen came home, got busy, had a baby. So that was fun. Let's do it again. Then you see a little pause where they said, let's get a house in the suburbs, go to McDonald's and the drive-in theater. And then it just ramps up. So for the next 20 years, starting right now, what you're seeing is 10,000 people a day turning 65, 4,000 people a day are turning 85. That's 1.4 million people this year and every year for the next 20 years will be turning 85 years old. And I bring that data up because that's kind of the average age of somebody who's in assisted living. They're in their 80s, maybe mid 80s. They, It's not a vacation. It's not a retirement home. They're not playing pickleball and tennis. That's independent living. Assisted living is for people that actually need assistance. So they can't be home alone, but they don't need a nursing home. So it's right in between these two. It's not a medical facility. It's not doctors and nurses and gurneys. It's a home where there's 24-hour care, but it's caregivers. And each state has their own certification level from fog a mirror, you're a caregiver, to 100 plus hours of training and testing and certification. But it's a, a assistance that is provided for their activities of daily living. And I know many of your listeners know exactly what I'm talking about, but an ADL, activity of daily living, is pretty much everything you do after you hit the snooze alarm. You know, bathing, eating, medication management, housekeeping, but nobody moves into assisted living unless they need the assistance. It's true. There are a lot of 85-year-olds out there, but not all of them are going to need assisted living or even a nursing home. Talk to me right now about the inventory of residential assisted living and how big the gap you think there is when we talk about all those numbers of people who are turning 85, et cetera. Yeah. Let's make sure we all understand not everybody moves into assisted living or a nursing home. That's not it. 90% of all people, according to AARP in a survey they did, 90% want to stay at home and live in their own home for the rest of their life. But the flip side of that, the fact is 70% of all of us will need some kind of assistance. And that assistance will be for an average of three and a half years. Now, that assistance could be I, the son, go visit mom and assist a couple hours a day, or could be all the way up to a nursing home. But that 70%, that's huge. And that three and a half years, that's a lengthy time because the average person right now is spending $4,300 per person per month in assisted living. That's according to genworth.com, a long-term care insurance company. So the inventory about statistically... 17% of the population is going to be in an age group 65 and above, but about 7% of the population is of that population of the 17% is going to need that assistance. Right now, there's about 1,100,000 or 200,000 beds, so 1.2 million assisted living beds in the US today. And the reality is there is a flood, a tsunami coming of people that are going to need this assistance. So it's really, really big business, but you can also do it small in the single family residence. And that's what we specialize in. And just for clarification, we've talked about independent. We've talked about assisted living. I've mentioned the term nursing home. What's the difference? Yeah, independent living is kind of a retirement community, 55 and above. So they take care of themselves. Assisted living is where they need some help, but it's not medical. They don't need to be at a doctor's office or need a nurse every day. When you get to nursing, that's 24-hour care, so a nursing home or a SNF, 
a skilled nursing facility, 24-7 RNs on duty. So it's, it's really a progression in need. So assisted living itself is right in the middle. Independent living is going to be they don't need 24-hour care. They don't really need any assistance. They're independent. Nursing home is they need medical attention on a daily basis. Assisted living is right in between. And you talk mostly about residential assisted living. Is there a reason why you chose that flavor of elder care as opposed to the other two? Absolutely. Two reasons. One, mom. Mom didn't want to move into a big hospital that was converted into and just be a forgotten person in a room. And then two, opportunity. You know, to buy one of these big box facilities is tens of millions of dollars. To buy a single family home and convert it into and use it for six, eight, 10, 15 seniors in that home, much more accomplished. Anybody can do that one. So it was really two things. Mom, the care that she was looking for and we wanted for her. And two is the opportunity. And I'll add one more too, timing. You know, timing in life is really critical. And I know when I first got started, 2013, if you think back where we were, we were just coming out of what was called the Great Recession as we look back. So real estate was at a low and it was starting to come up. So the idea of buying a big house in a beautiful neighborhood was even better at that point. So that's what it is. You're buying beautiful homes and beautiful neighborhoods and converting those, not the bread and butter rental property with three bedroom, two bath, 1500 square feet. The homes we typically use are three, four, five, 6,000 square feet or more. And you might consider them luxury assisted living. I just consider them a place I'd be proud to have my own mom live. I think you make an important point there because most people, when they think about assisted livings, really think about these big buildings with hundreds of people in them. And I think you're shedding light on this idea that what you define as assisted living doesn't necessarily have to be that large. Yeah, I guess, you know, when I think about it, it's almost like a school. Right now, over the last couple of years, a lot of people have gone to homeschooling because they couldn't go to that big building. But I know when I was having kids, we did homeschooling at the beginning because when you look at the eight-hour day, six hours of it is fluff and keeping in line and breaking up fights and feeding two hours of education. Boy, we can do that at home easily and a lot more freedom in life. So homeschooling in the home, now some people are doing small groups where it might be the neighborhood with eight or 10 kids. But or you can go to the big campus with 3000 students covering, you know, 12 grades. Are the economics more difficult in these smaller settings? Actually, I think they're much better because here's what it breaks down to. There's really three parts to the cost. One is the location. So you might own something right now that is suitable. You could rent something that is suitable. You could buy something that is suitable or you can build something that's suitable. So what do you mean suitable? Well, the first thing is location. It's where it is, not what it is, the right location. And it's not, you know, being in oceanfront or mountaintop. It's the demographics. Who's within 30 minutes of you? So when you think about demographics, the place to put it, the location is going to be where people who have more money than the average person does. 50, 60-year-old is kind of your client. They're not moving into the home, but their parents are 80, 90. That child who's 50, 60 years old is the one who's making the decision on the location and then what it costs. They're the ones who are going to foot the bill, write the check. So the cost, the location, the real estate is one. The renovation, what does it need? There's some homes where I walk into and it's like, wow, I could open up today. There's other homes where you walk into and it's like, it's going to take me $200,000 in renovation to get this where I want it. 
And the, the third part is the blue sky cost, the startup cost. Whenever you're starting a business, I think one of the biggest challenges that people have and mistakes that people make is undercapitalization. They don't have enough money to get them to the finish line. New business owners don't even know that. They don't know that. I've done it many, many times and I've, I've mentored thousands of people. You need to have the money to get you to where you want to be. So that undercapitalization, financing it up front. So the real estate, the renovation, and then the blue sky cost, the soft cost of owning and operating a business. Those are the three things. And like I said, we've, we teach people how to do this, but you could start with a very small amount of money using somebody else's house and get up and running. Or you could build your own place, spend a couple million dollars and build the place beautifully, just the way you want it. That's a bigger haul, maybe take a little bit longer, but in the end, it's absolutely well worth it. We're talking to Gene Guarino. He is a certified financial planner in the U.S. and Australia. Since 1976, he has owned and operated 16 businesses and been an angel investor and numerous others. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is Earn and Invest. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to Meals on the Go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing. And there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals. And let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave. And two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Listen, the truth is investing seems complicated, especially when you first start. That's why I'm telling everybody about Public.com. Public.com is an app. It is a platform where you can invest any amount of money. You can invest in $1,000 stocks with just $1. The ability to buy slices of shares offers more flexibility on what you can add to your portfolio. But it's not just an investing app. It's also a social platform. When you invest with public.com, you're not investing alone. They make it easy to collaborate and build your confidence as an investor. You can choose from thousands of stocks and ETFs to grow your portfolio. Public.com curates stocks with themes so you can even navigate the market the way you see the world. You can get started with as little as $1 and you'll even get a free slice of stocks up to $50 when you join public.com. Just go to public.com slash EAI to download the app and sign up today. This is valid for U.S. residents 18 and older, subject to account approval. See public.com slash disclosures. This is not investment advice. 
We're back with Gene Garino. He is focused on helping people grow their skills and their financial freedom through real estate investments like residential assisted living and shared housing. Gene, I was watching a video this morning of you on the assisted living network, and you ask a question in this video. You say, how easy is it to open assisted and assisted living? Let me throw that question back at you. How easy is it? You know, it's really easy if you know what you're doing. <laughs> and let me let me make let me dummy it down as best I can. I actually had somebody say, Gene, what you do is so easy. All you do is get a house, fill it with seniors, get a babysitter, and you're done. And I laughed. I said, Well, I guess you could make it that simple, but it ain't that simple. It's not that. So with the getting started, if you truly know, know what you're doing, you, you've learned it from somebody who knows what they're doing, you need the right location, the right house, the renovation. You need to do the right things. There are certain things you do and some things you don't do. And then from there, the startup, the business itself, I don't want to be the manager. I'm not the caregiver. So the team that I create to be my my face they're the ones who who are providing the care that's critically important to your success how much do you look at this as a pure real estate play versus a healthcare business when i first got started it was definitely well first of all it's not a healthcare business we're you're a doc i'm not right so the idea of we don't do healthcare we're just helping uh, provide care for these seniors but we're not providing medical care so i want to make sure we're really clear on that part cuz a lot of people are, do get confused on that. They assume that we have nurses on staff or we need to be right across the street from a hospital. And the answer is nope and nope. You know, at the beginning, it was definitely much more about the business aspect of it. The real estate was important because I knew that I always know there's an opportunity in real estate, but the business is where the serious cash flow comes from. You can make $10,000 a month or more in net profit from a single family home operating the business. And that includes paying for the real estate and everything else that goes with it. That's just the profit potential. So that's that's one piece. Today, I've actually sold some of the businesses that I've started and kept the real estate. So I'm more on the real estate side where I'm now leasing it to somebody for twice the market rent with a long-term low-impact tenant. And I'm very happy to do that as well. So I've progressed to the point where now I own real estate and I lease it to, or I invest in beds and projects across the country. We can look at this as a pure business or even as specifically real estate, but it hits me when you're talking about residential assisted living, there may be more medical liability or at least liability in general, as well as maybe some more state compliance. Tell me, are there some special issues involved with residential assisted livings as opposed to some other real estate uh, play or business you'd be doing? Great question. And it's one that people are always concerned about. And they always ask. So let me hit it head on. We're not medical. It's not a medical institution. So we don't need a medical malpractice insurance. As you know, that's really expensive and libelous. In our case, we have a home that we're providing a service. So it's not even a tenant landlord relationship. So that whole concept of how do you move somebody out if they can't pay? We can talk about that too. But when somebody is in there, we're providing a service. So any service business that's providing a service should have professional liability insurance. That professional liability insurance, the cost of it is maybe $2 a day per resident. So 10 residents, 30 days, $600 a month is the line item that gets spread out. And all costs always gets passed on to the customer anyway, in one way, shape or form. So that reality is, it's important that you have that professional liability insurance. 
how you really protect yourself is not having the insurance, but choosing the right resident. See, what we can do is we can choose when somebody comes to the home, if they're not a good fit, and maybe it's their level of care is too high, we say, no, it's not a good fit. Or maybe the resident is fine, but it's the family member. We affectionately call them daughter Judy, because there's usually somebody in the household that's in charge. It's usually one of the females in the family. So we affectionately call that person daughter Judy. So if daughter Judy comes and she says, I'm going to look for a place for my mom because she fell five times at home last week. And when I move her into your home, she better never fall. So some of you, I'm wagging my finger for those who can't see it, but Whenever that happens, Doc, we say, hey, hang on, daughter Judy, we want to make sure we understand this. I guarantee mom is going to fall when she's in our home. If your expectation is she's not going to fall, this is not the right fit for you. Now, that's important because if we can eliminate those potential problems right up front, we don't have to take that resident. We don't have to accept daughter Judy's misplaced mindset or expectation. We avoid 99% of the problems up front. We don't let them through the front door. So your liability went from here down to a much smaller, much smaller number. And if you have the insurance, occasionally you're going to have an issue, but it's incredibly rare. You, know, you might be surprised with that, but I've been in business for eight years and I've had one issue, one issue. And it cost me a thousand dollar deductible. The attorneys took care of it from there. They were angry as some people get, if you will, but not even angry, upset, and actually, I don't even think it was that because we had actually readmitted them into our home three different times. They had gone to seven different facilities in between. So we were doing the very best we could for them. But when they passed away, I think some attorney put the bug in their ear. Hey, if we just throw out the red flag and put out a lawsuit, somebody's going to pay us off. And hey, it wasn't me. That's all I know. <laughs> So you mentioned liability. What about compliance? I mean, are there federal regulations or state regulations that kind of make this more difficult? Yeah, no federal regulations in residential assisted living. Again, it's not medical, but there are state rules and each state has a little bit different. In addition, then there's local. So I want to make sure we're clear. I'm saying residential assisted living. That's kind of like saying Kleenex right? That is a, a brand, if you will, because in some states like the state of California, call what we do an RCFE, residential care for the elderly. In, in, it, in Georgia, they call it a personal care home. In Colorado, they call it an assisted living residence. So it's called different things around the country. 20 different states call it assisted living facility. But if you use the words assisted living facility in Arizona, they're going to say, you can't do that in a single family home. That's a commercial issue. So every state's a little bit different. Really what it boils down to is you need to have three things. You need to have a home that is safe for seniors, not ADA compliant, completely different. We're not hiring people with disabilities to take care of people with a disability. So safe, so grab bars, smoke detectors, that kind of thing. Second, you need to have policies and procedures. So what are you going to do if, when you move somebody in, what are the questions? When you move somebody out, what are the answers? Menu, scheduling, all the details, policies and procedures. And then the third one is whatever the state requires for a manager. So a manager or a facility manager has certain qualifications. Some states, it's as little as uh, 18 years old, a GED or higher, and a 24-hour course, and you're a manager of an assisted living facility or an RAL. Other states like Arizona, it's you need to have you need to be a caregiver first for two years, and then you train to be a manager after that. 
So different states, different rules, different regulations, uh, but it's not medical. Do these regulations vary quite a bit from state to state? You know, since we teach people all over the country, I know many of the rules across the country. And the answer is really yes, but no. And what I mean by that is, like I said, on the low end here, 18 GED, 24 hours, way up here, 100 hours, two years of experience and continuing education. So it's somewhere in between those two. But beyond that, the safety of the home, that's pretty much the same across the country. But some states require sprinklers or fire suppression. Some do not. But also what's really important from the business aspect is how many people can I have in the home? I want to make money in the business. Our motto is do good and do well. So we want to make money, do well, but we want to do good, help other people. But if I can only have five residents in the home, that's what the state regulation is. That's really, that's a lot more difficult to make money than if I can have 10 residents, because I still need to have all the expense of the house and the food and the caregivers, et cetera, but only five sources of revenue versus 10. Well, obviously it's easier to make more money when you have more residents. So that one right there is one of the keys, but we've taught many, many people how to do this. When you have a smaller census, maybe you only can have five, six, or seven. Maybe we focus on memory care where we can charge more, they move in sooner, they're there longer, and we can be very profitable if we focus on something a little different. Back to the invention is the mother of, or necessity is the mother of all invention. (laughs) Up to this point, we've really talked about the business aspect of these residential assisted livings. Talk to us about the personal side. As an owner and operator, do you get involved in people's lives? And if so, tell us a story about how. Absolutely. You know, it's, It's really interesting. You can do it at any level you want. So if you're listening, you don't ever have to show up at the house or darken the doorway at all. But I do remember specifically, especially early on, where I really wanted to get to know more of what's going on. I'll give you two stories. One was, it was right after I bought the first home. It was actually an existing business, a residential assisted living. I bought the business and the real estate combined. I had just bought it and it was the following Saturday. And I went there to see what the weekend staff is all about because I had never met him before. So I went there and I was sitting with a resident in the dining room and she asked one of the caregivers to bring her a cup of coffee. So bring me a cup of coffee, please. The caregiver nodded and went away and came back with a blanket. And I said, hmm, she asked for a cup of coffee and she got a blanket. So then I asked the caregiver a question and she dutifully nodded and went away. And I realized she doesn't understand what I'm saying. (laughs) That we can laugh about that right now. Blanket, coffee. Okay. But what if it's medication? What if it's daughter Judy says, have mom ready at nine o'clock with her blue dress on and her hair all done because I'm going to take her out to lunch. That's where it gets critical. So coming in and getting to know it from that level there, but that wasn't my job. It's the manager's job, but it was really good that I saw that. Another one in that same home, I remember distinctly, I went into one of the residents' rooms and he had a picture, a little frame, and it was one of those digital ones where the pictures were flowing by every 10 or 20 seconds. And I just sat with them and I said, can you tell me about those pictures? And the stories that came out were amazing. And I quickly realized 20 minutes in, 30 minutes in, I probably have had more of a deep conversation with this gentleman than his grandkids have. You know, I may have learned things that they never heard before. And I took that to heart because I would go in and when I had that time to to sit and ask, and I learned about people who did missions in other countries who 
the artwork on the wall is something they painted when they were in their 20s and just blows you away the how you can help turn these golden years into platinum years just by respecting them a little bit and asking questions and being truly and sincerely curious about who they are as people. Yeah, it brings up the point that although it sounds like this business can be about dollars and cents, it doesn't necessarily have to be all about dollars and cents. And in fact, probably a number of people who go into this have some interest in caring for the elderly in general. Yeah, we, we teach a concept of a three-legged stool. And the three legs are the real, the business, if you will, the residents, and then the staff. So there's a lot of people that get into this business just for the real estate, just because you can make great, great money on the business, the real estate. Not, I'm cool with that. But if you have a three-legged stool and all you're about is the business, well, something else is going to get neglected and that stool goes down. So I, I really do look at it as I need a solid business where I can make good money and give great care and have great products and services for these people. But also the staff, I need to not just have great staff, I need to support them, their dreams, their goals. We've had caregivers become managers and managers become owners. And I love that. So the staff, and then the third is the residents. We need to respect those residents, know who they are, where they come from. And if you do this in balance, it's not just about the money, but it's not just about the heart. Because if you come in with just a big heart saying, I just want to take care of people, that's admirable, but your business will probably fail because when somebody can't pay, you're going to say, we'll stay anyway. And as soon as you start doing that, it starts to go down because people will assume that you'll let anybody in and those people business-wise fail. So you need heart, you need business, and the staff is right in between because they're people, but it's part of the business side as well. Talk about that a little bit. I think specifically with the COVID pandemic, but being part of healthcare myself, for years, I've been hearing people grumbling about the ethics of people who run assisted livings and nursing homes, both of them together. Has there been a mark against people running these businesses in the past? And what are you seeing today out in the world? When I go to what I call a big box convention, so this is where Brookdale Sunrise Atria, and I'm there listening from their perspective, it's like impressive. But then when they ask me what I do, and I say residential assisted living and explain it, two things happen. One, their nose goes up and they say, oh, you're small, you're insignificant. You don't, you don't really matter because we do 100 beds at a time. You do 10 beds at a time. Or, or, and or, they say, they look around and they're like, that's where I want to put my mom. I want her in a home like that where she gets great care and great. And it's like, wow, what a dichotomy. So from the big perspective, we're now, we've raised the profile. So now we're much more uh, known and accepted because of COVID. I'm going to tell you right now, because uh, June of last year, an article came out in Senior Housing News. The title of it was Smaller is Better. Now, senior housing news is a big deal in, in our industry, but smaller is better is what I've been teaching, Dave, over years and years and years. And what they found is that, hey, when we've got 200 people in this big, huge building, we can't keep them safe from each other. So their only solution was keep them in their room, solitary confinement. You can't be with other people. We'll slide the food under the door. Now, not literally, but almost figuratively, that's exactly it. That's inhumane. So from our perspective, and again, when you have 10 residents in a home, you can do an air filtration system that does the entire home, cost you a couple of thousand dollars, 99.9% .9 of that air is recirculated and cleaned and purified within 10 minutes time. 
We're much safer in the smaller facility. So here's the effect that it's had. People are moving from the big box into the residential homes because of that safety, the ability to not have to have a mask while you're sitting in your own private room, uh, maybe more visitation available in that smaller home because it is more controlled. In addition, we've actually had caregivers that were in the big box and they don't like what they're seeing and what they're doing, leaving there, coming to us saying, I'd much rather work with 10 people that I'm allowed to get to know versus the 200 people here where there's four caregivers on staff. Uh, We have to take care of them all and we don't get to know any of them. We're talking with Gene Garino. He is a certified financial planner. Since 1976, he's owned and operated 16 businesses and been an angel investor and numerous others. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is Earn and Invest. Speaking of real estate, have you ever checked out the Real Estate and Financial Independence podcast with Coach Carson? This is my favorite real estate oriented podcast. Not only does the coach give you tips and tricks on how to make this asset class work for you, but he also has guests, real-life examples, proof of concept about how real estate can be one of the most successful businesses you run. Check him out, Coach Carson. It's the Real Estate and Financial Independence Podcast. You can find it at CoachCarson.com. Again, that's CoachCarson.com. Take a listen. You won't regret it. Gene Guarino is focused on helping people grow their skills and their financial freedom through real estate investments like residential assisted living and shared housing. Gene, we were talking before about COVID, and I'm wondering how COVID has affected the business in general. I've noticed in nursing homes that a lot of families are taking their family members out of nursing homes because they're worried about the risk of spread of COVID in these larger facilities. Have you seen it affect your business at all? Yes, we have. And in a positive way, here's the, you know, I was mentioning before the idea of those people who are in that larger facility where they really can't be that protected saying, we got to get mom out of here. They won't even let us go in and see her. She's in solitary confinement. She's sad. She's depressed. And if they know that there's an alternative, and by the way, when I say, if they know, even though there's 29,000 communities and that's everything from single family home to a 300 bed facility with Brookdale, 29,000 of them, we don't have signs in front typically. We're in the middle of a residential neighborhood. Somebody wouldn't necessarily know unless somebody told them or referred them, et cetera. So if they knew that there was a home that's a luxury home that would be very comfortable, mom can sit in the backyard and, and be outside versus this big hospital that was converted or even the country clubs they're building today that are beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, it's still lonely and depressing in a lot of cases. If they knew they're moving them into these smaller facilities because they are safer, uh, better care, uh, better food. I mean, in our nicer homes, we have a, you know, a chef on duty so they can do custom order breakfast and lunch and prepare gourmet meals in between for dinner. So it can be a lot of fun. You can have. And I also want to speak to those of you who are listening, the idea of, you know, Doc, I know there's some people just like you and I that have had an experience. You've had it from the professional side. But a lot of other people, it's from their personal side. It's their mom, their dad. 
they saw something go on and they say, I don't think this is right, or I think I can do it better. We absolutely can. You can start your own home and run it the way you want to, the care, maybe with the nuance, the amenities that you want. We've had people open homes where it's all natural food, all all vegan or a certain ethnicity or some other interest that makes these people even more tight as a community. On the other hand, if you're listening and saying, hey, my parents are getting older, what am I going to do? Because I can't afford five, six, seven thousand dollars a month for three or four years. What am I going to do? I have a secret for you. Open up your own residential assisted living home, move mom or dad into the master bedroom and they live for free. And you have nine or 10 other people paying five, six, seven thousand dollars a month. So you're making money instead of draining that future inheritance, which I see way too many times. So, Gene, if someone is listening right now and they are saying, boy, that sounds good. This is something I'm interested in. What's like the first step? Where do you go? How do you find out about this business if it sounds appealing, but you know nothing about it? If it's all right with you, I'll be a little self-serving and saying we are going to be re-releasing one of our books and it's The Silver Tsunami of Seniors. So you can look for that in about two months from now, hopefully one, but I'm going to tell you two. And our website, which we have a lot of information on, and I give you a real simple one where you can get a webinar, you can make a phone call to us, we can talk, you can learn as much as you want. And that's ral101.com. So RAL101.com, great resource to get you started with what are the potential opportunities for me. So what do you think is going to happen over the next decade with this industry? How do you see it changing? I don't see this getting automated with AI the way that, you know, when you remember the movie iRobot with Will Smith, you know, I love the concept of robots moving around, but robots taking care of grandma in the shower and I don't quite see it. Okay. So it's still going to be humans getting involved. There's a lot of cool technology that's coming up to make it easier for the humans to take care of the humans. I don't see it going AI or tech like that. It just can't. I do see people really waking up to the fact that smaller is safer. I'm seeing it every single day, more and more and more. We're exploding. It's, it's going really great. But it is expensive. And that's the part that I don't really get. I don't see how that changes. Now, I could go down a dark hole and say, man, maybe certain things are happening in our world to get rid of the older population on a mass scale. And that's a scary thought, right? But that's really dark and I can't go there mentally. It's just, it's just, uh, that would be too sick. But the reality is, People are going to age. They're going to they're going to stay here. People are going to love them and take care of them. But it does cost money, and you got to get prepared for that. You're either making that money or you're spending that money. You're going to get involved in this industry one way or the other. The question is how. And right now, you have a choice. I want to, in a moment, broaden the conversation to starting new businesses in general and move away from assisted livings. But I feel like we should give the elevator pitch for starting a residential assisted living. So. If you're running into someone and they say, hey, I hear you do this, what is the quick pitch that you give people about starting residential assisted living? Well, I always ask somebody what they're all about, what they want and need. But the reality is there's two opportunities. One's a real estate play. One's a business play. You can do either or both. And if you want to do the real estate play, I can show you how to get twice the market rent with a long-term low-impact tenant. And you can do it in a much nicer house versus the bread and butter rental property. If you're doing it from the business side, there's an opportunity for you to have impact, do good and do very, very well. But that do good part is, I think the older I get, the more important it becomes helping other people, leaving something behind, not just with my own kids, but in the world in general. Uh, So if you want to be 
impactful. And if you really want to make great money and if you want to have great opportunity for the next 20 years, residential assisted living is the place to be. We've talked about the fact that you've actually done many businesses over the years. I think we mentioned the number 16. I want to come back to this idea of when you notice a gap in the market, how to fill it. I mean, that's something we all see, right? I mean, there are times when we're searching for a product or a service and we can't find it out there. How do we translate that into action? Because there are people out there like you who seem to do this over and over again. And then there's the rest of us who are looking at our financial lives and saying, hey, maybe we can have a bigger impact on our bottom line. Yeah. And I want to answer that two ways. One is that There's things that I think of in my mind that I just don't have the capacity, the bandwidth to be able to do. So I'll just keep putting it out there when it comes up. Like, I think they should come up with electric cars that the whole paint is the solar collector. So you're driving down the street, you're collecting the sun, charging the battery. I love the electric concept, but why not just get it from the sun? It's free. So I keep throwing that out there, hoping somebody will do it, right? The other thing is that there's so many things. I'm an entrepreneur, so I see opportunity every time I open my eyes every single morning, but you cannot do them all. So you really do need to pick one and focus. And we all know the story. A candle, you know, sitting sitting out there, you, you need to be focused like a laser beam. You need to pick one, go deep. If you do that, you'd be incredibly successful. So we do impact housing. That's ultimately what we do. We do the senior housing, but we also do shared housing to have impact because there's a lot of people that can't afford a house or even an apartment. So the group housing concept and meeting those needs itself is another incredible opportunity. So we go and we focus. And once we've got it laser beamed in, then we create another team of people to go on to the next one and focus. Do you remember how you recognize that impact housing was your lane? It was actually very recently because our overall company is the AL family. We've been focused on the assisted living solely for seven, eight years. But what's happened is that people will come to our training and say, can I use this information for my autistic son who's going to outlive me by 20 years? And the answer is, well, that's not exactly what we teach or do, but sure, use what you can. But we got it so many times. Can I do it for recovery homes? Can I do it for the uh, disabilities of any kind? that we created a whole new company. So that idea of what are the companies, what's the commonality? And the answer was impact. We're not doing vacation rentals. I love Airbnb and short-term rentals, but that's not impact on my life. It's a vacation or it's a business trip. Impact is I'm truly helping somebody. So mom and the kids and the grandkids were impacting their lives. Somebody who needs clean and sober housing, or they need a home for their autistic adult child who's going to outlive them for 20 years, that's impact housing. So it was within the last year that we actually realized this is what we're all about. It's not just the seniors, it's having impact within this housing. And you and I were discussing before we started recording, this is the first business in which your children and family members are interested in This idea of building a legacy, I know, is on the top of your mind. Why do you think your kids were interested in this business? That's a great question. And and it wasn't just my kids. It was my wife, too. She's incredibly supportive. But anybody who's married to somebody who is always looking for something new and the latest, greatest and an entrepreneur, I'm sure that can be frustrating, right? So there's lots of times where she would be very supportive, but also it's kind of like, well, prove it to me, right? And then when it works, it's like, well, that's great, but... 
This one, when I said I'm going to do residential assisted living, first of all, my family was like, you're nuts. You've never done this before. You're crazy. And I just had to go ahead and do it. Once they saw it, they understood that impact. And I remember distinctly, we were in the master bedroom of the second home that we had opened up just before an open house. My wife and I were having a little prayer beforehand, just to make sure everything goes great. And it dawned on both of us. We could move in here. Not today, but 20, 30 years from now, if we need this, we can move right into the master bedroom and live for free. So it was an epiphany. But by this point, she was already starting to get involved. She understood this was not just another moneymaker. This is impactful. So she was on board. One of the first ones of my kids who came on was my daughter, Isabel. She was a flight attendant. She was accepted to Teach for America, double major in school. She worked for Disney. She's an incredible girl. But she was there. And I'm like, I need somebody. And If I pay you enough, can you come work for me? She saw the impact, though. She negotiated with me a little bit, but she did see that she could make a difference. So she came on board. And then after that, my other three kids, just like Domino's, said, well, is there something for me? Because I like what you're doing. And they had had a chance to experience the world enough to see what's going on out there to say, wow, I'd rather build something with dad. I'd rather be a part of something with him than just having some side career that's kind of leading to no place and impacting no one. So once we started this role of bringing in the family, what really helped me, and and I know a lot of you who are listening, you're saying, well, how do I get my kids involved? I brought my kids to work, quote unquote, many times. They didn't like it. They didn't want to be there. I remember distinctly one story with my son, Emmanuel. He's a great kid. He works with us now. He's amazing. But there was a time where it was like I was doing real estate investing and it was like, okay, here's the deal. I want you to get uh, an old pair of pants, your boots on and some gloves. and You're going to come with me today. Oh, dad, I don't want to go. No, you're coming with me. It doesn't matter. Had 20 tons of stone dropped in a driveway at one of our rental properties. It needed to be spread out in the front yard. In Arizona, we have yards full of rock. And that's what we do. 20 tons is a lot. They dumped it. It was August. It was 110 degrees. I had a couple of gallons of water and he and I together spread out 20 tons of stone. And at the end of that whole thing, and I could have paid somebody $10 an hour and got it done for a few hundred bucks, but I did it to teach them the lesson. I said, look, if all you want to do is just spread stone for the rest of your life, just keep going where you're going. But if you want to do something impactful, in this case, rental properties and making great money doing that, you're going to have to work for it. And that was a turnaround in his his life. So sometimes you need to give them the hard lesson, but then they'll kind of come back because they're not necessarily listening to your words. They're watching your actions. They're going to watch what you do. So the kids eventually all came into the business. And now really what I'm all about, Doc, is the idea of just watching them grow. We're beyond the 18 summers. Now we're into real life, watching them grow and helping give them skills and insights so that they can grow and do whatever they want to do. Ultimately, we'll either pass the whole business on to them because they're all C-level in the business. And it's not nepotism. These kids are rock stars. They really, really are good. But it's I'm helping them grow in life because I'm not going to be here forever. So for me, the best legacy I can give is to invest in them as they grow. And I think that's the definition of impact investing. You're not only impacting your bottom line, you're impacting your family. And ultimately, you're impacting your community and society. If we move it past residential assisted living, this idea of I'm looking for something. I can't find it. I'm going to create the business will not only serve you, but likely there are a lot of other people who are also noticing that gap and looking for someone to fill it. It is truly having an impact. 
Gene, I wanted to thank you for coming on and end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what's up next in your life and where people can get in touch with you if they want to know more. What's going on? What's up next with me in my life? You know what? I've been saying for a couple of years now, I'm going to retire. And that was supposed to happen in January, but I just, I can't stop. So the reality is I'm going to keep on growing this business, but I'm passing the leadership on to the kids so that they can decide exactly where to go with this. But we're starting new businesses. Like I said, the Impact Housing Group is growing. We have a private equity fund to for people that want to invest in these homes. We created that. We actually launched a franchise last year in this industry, Majestic Residences. So now we have a franchise as well as the educational company, as well as the new Recovery Housing Academy, where we teach people how to create this housing for impact in other areas in recovery. So we're just continuing to grow. I've got a couple of books that I'm working on right now, and I just bought myself a new UTV. So it's like a four-seater ATV because we got a place up here in Sedona. So I hope to be out in the trails, driving around, enjoying the scenery a lot more. And how can people find you on the internet if they want to know more? I'm going to give you that website again, ral101.com. And if you want to go to alfamily.com, alfamily.com, that'll give you connections to all of our different companies. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. And by having myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Gene Guarino. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I truly appreciate that. That's a wrap. Cool. <laughs> Sorry awesome. to mean to step on your toe there. At the it's end. okay. I always give that pause and then I say that's a wrap and people often jump in. So that's, that's, I always know it. I always know it's going to happen. And yet it happens every time. Anyway. We don't like empty air. I found that, see, I always thought as a host, I get anxious over empty air, but I found that my, my guests also don't like it either. <laughs> so they will start talking to fill the space if I don't say anything, which is a funny, it's a funny thing. It is. And there's no time delay here. I can't even imagine on TV when they say it and then it's two seconds later and they hear it, then they respond. Yeah, no, that's a mess. I once did that. I did a live recording on an app called Fireside with a guy from Germany and there was a time delay and it was a mess because he kept on jumping in because my question hadn't got to him yet. We kept on interrupting each other. It was It was a bad deal. So tell me, was there anything you feel like we didn't tackle or anything you felt like you would want as part of this episode that we didn't mention? No, no, that was, it was fun. And, and I love the fact that you're coming from a different perspective that, uh, so thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, no, it was, it was fun for me too. And uh, again, I love this idea of bringing about new investment opportunities that people don't know about, but then also broadening the conversation about what it means more than just this one thing we're talking about. So I think that really fit well into, into my needs for the show. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China. 
where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more— and they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.